This episode of the Policing Matters podcast is sponsored by LexisNexis Risk Solutions. Learn more about how the accurate virtual crime center can help you solve more crime and find non-obvious connections at risk.lexisnexis.com backslash A-V-C-C. Hello and welcome back, and thank you for tuning in to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. I hope you've been enjoying the show and our guests, and well, of course, of all the issues affecting law enforcement these days across America, one of the key issues, of course, surrounds use of force. Whether it's in use, attempting to take an individual into custody, or defending yourself or others from attack, there are no easy answers. Well, our guest today may indeed answer some of the important questions, and we're talking about energy weapons. Welcome to the show, Rick Smith, founder and CEO of Axon, formerly known as Taser. Awesome. Thanks for having me here. No, great to have you. And Rick has been the pioneer of technology with the vision of making the bullet obsolete. Rick founded the original company Taser in 1993. As the taser device became ubiquitous in police enforcement, law enforcement, Rick pushed the company beyond weapons technology and towards a broader purpose of matching technology to public safety needs in order to make the world a safer place. Well, that's a pretty tall topic and menu and uh, the idea of of, uh, making the bullet obsolete. I'm, I'm sure we'd all enjoy that. Rick graduated from Harvard with a Bachelor of Science in Neuroscience and later earned a Master in International Finance from the University of Leuven in Belgium and an MBA from the University of Chicago. Welcome, Mr. Smith. It's great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, it's really nice to be here. Well, although the majority of our listeners are law enforcement people uh, in some form or another, or they're in the public safety field, can you briefly expand on the uh, conducted electrical weapon or the energy weapons as, as being a handheld weapon that uses an electric charge that either deploys darts to the subject or, <clears throat> excuse me, can be used as a contact device um, that sends the electrical charge that affects muscles, uh, causes people to have involuntary contractions or spasms and temporarily at least disables uh, the individual, the resisting or attacking individual uh, until the officer can gain uh, custody or, or control. Can you tell us a little bit more about the, uh, how the device works and the advantages of it? Yeah, so, um, well, I started this company after a, a couple of my friends were shot and killed uh, in a golf resort parking lot in Scottsdale, Arizona, in just a road rage incident that spun out of control. And I became very interested in violence as a technology problem. Uh, you know, we have a very well-armed country and, and, you know, certainly people have the right to arm themselves. But what struck me after that incident was, you know, I bet most people would rather not have to kill someone if they're defending themselves or trying to stop somebody who's violent. And just to use that one case as an example, the guy who killed my two friends uh, is now spending his life in prison. So that nobody won in that situation. Three lives were destroyed in a flash. So the insight to me was, well, wait a minute. 
there's got to be a better way that we could incapacitate a person instead of just blowing holes in them with flying bullets. We you know, fought the British 250 years ago. Surely technology could do something better. Uh, and I met a NASA scientist who had invented this technology called the taser back in the late 1960s. Uh, and the concept is to simply use electricity to overpower the human nervous system. As you and I are talking to each other right now, our brains are controlling our bodies. We're breathing, we're sitting up straight, I'm gesticulating with my hands. All of that is controlled by electrical patterns coming from my brain down through the nerve fibers of our bodies and out to control all of the muscles. Now, the idea of the taser is not to try to cause pain or distraction, but to actually tap into that neuromuscular control system and put somebody into what effectively looks like a spasm, where we are seizing control of their skeletal muscles. Because if we do that successfully, they cannot perform coordinated movement, which means they can't attack you. They're relatively helpless and incapacitated. And yet, if we do it right, and we spend a lot of millions of dollars in research to make sure we're doing it right, we can do it in a way that does not require or leave any injury. It's uh, just like right now, I'm flexing the muscle in my forearm intensely. Think of the taser or these energy weapons as a remote control that does the same thing. It's just the signals that are doing it are not coming from my brain. It's coming from this handheld device. Awesome. Well, <clears throat> I'm sure no one's heard it explained to that extent before. I have students at university who write about taser and they always use taser. Uh, as the uh, the device, and I and I have to remind them it is a brand, and, and it is a, a, an electrical charged uh, device. So the public reaction emanating from some of the police shootings over the past few years have sparked outrage. Um, how could the um, energy weapons have changed the results? Could you could you comment on that? Oh yeah, you know, well, sadly, there have been thousands of cases in the past few years where the energy weapons did change the result. But unfortunately, those are not the ones that we hear about in the news. When things go right, it's not newsworthy. Uh, I've heard a, an expression historically, if, you, if your only exposure to airline safety was reading about it in the newspapers, you would never fly in an airplane because the things that make the news are the, are the tragedies or the crashes. Um, now, there are uh, cases where tasers likely could have made a difference, um, but you know, simply weren't available. And I think that's where uh, some of the communities are, are really starting to now ask this question, hey, wait a minute, you know, I've seen these taser weapons in movies and I know police departments have them. Why did we not have them in some incident where they, they might've been useful? Um, and I, I think actually Philadelphia is going through that right now where uh, many of the community activists following the shooting earlier this week are, are saying, hey, why, why don't we have these tools out in the hands of every officer? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I was going to ask a question earlier when I looked at uh, old, apparently old statistics that talked about um, the number of agencies that employ uh, the taser or the energy device. And the they're currently tasers are currently in use by over seventeen thousand of the eighteen thousand law enforcement agencies, or about ninety five percent, with more than four hundred thousand tasers available. Um, so I've, I've seen the result, I've seen it in, in real use and I've seen it uh, documented. So why, why don't all agencies uh, rely or at least in, have the option of employing an energy device? You know, I think some of it just change takes time. 
Uh, there are many agencies that have gone to standard issue where every officer, you know, comes out uh, of the academy and they get a gun and a, a body camera and a radio and a taser energy weapon. Uh, but there are also, you know, some, particularly some of the larger agencies will still share them. Um, we do see that's a, something that's changing over time where more and more agencies are moving to individual issue. Uh, frankly, just for the reason that if you happen to be an officer who doesn't have one and there's a police shooting, you know, the public is going to ask uh, some some tough questions about, well, why did this officer not have the capacity to try something else before they went to lethal force? Mm -hmm. So with with the, I mean, we talked about it, ubiquitous, it's everywhere, right? So with, with um, the energy weapons at most agencies, how big a role does Axon play in evidence-based research uh, and going through cases and looking at high-profile uh, events and uh, breaking them down into seeing uh, how the scenarios can be played out with the use of the energy device? Yeah, so we, you know, we do a lot of collaboration with uh, research groups, whether it's you know here in the United States uh, or the United Kingdom or Australia. Uh, one of the most interesting uh, collaborations actually was out of uh, Cambridge University in the United Kingdom. Uh, and this actually was, was do, had to do with body cameras, which the reason we actually got into the body camera space was because it's controversial when police use force, whether it's a taser or we think back to like the shooting of Michael Brown, um, you know, in Ferguson, Missouri. And uh, we felt the best way to answer that, you know, we can all argue whether police are right or wrong. Uh, and, and again, the Ferguson case is a great example people could pick what they wanted to believe because there was no factual record of what happened. So roughly half the country believed the police officer and that he was being attacked. And, you know, a large part of the country, maybe half believed the other side that was saying, no, that the officer shot a, you know, an unarmed man who was not being aggressive. Um, now, if we fast forward and we compare that to what happened in the George Floyd incident, you know, there, there were multiple body cameras on scene. And I think the truth really had nowhere to hide. And as painful as this moment is that we're going through, I think what we're seeing is, you know, even law enforcement leaders in mass have come out and said, we need to revamp the way we're training. We need to reform our approach to use of force. Uh, and I think body cameras played a huge role in, in bringing the truth to light. And that was a pretty troubling incident. So coming back to uh, some of the research that we've worked with. So in Cambridge, they looked at the effect of body cameras since they started being deployed across, oh, I think a sample size of over 10,000 officers. And they found that complaints against police dropped by 93% when they had body cameras in place. Now, they still don't drive them to zero. And, you know, I don't think we're ever going to get to zero because policing is complex. Uh, it's dangerous. You know, there, there are times where, you know, cops are human and sometimes they're gonna cross the line and, and, and you know, engage in being too aggressive. Other times they'll be in complex situations. When we think about uh, cases like the Breonna Taylor case where uh, I think there's plenty of, of, of room to improve how those officers ended up uh, in the situation they did, but ultimately, you know, once a shot is fired, uh, you can imagine it, it's it, it's going to escalate, and and unfortunately, you know, it, it really did there. So I, I think the point is, I don't know that we're ever going to get to where there's no controversy or uh, to where police are never using force, but I do think that we're seeing a trend in the overall direction that police are. Um, you know, improving the technologies and techniques they have, and they're being much more transparent with the public. Sure. 
No, you bring up a couple of really great points there in, in that it's really difficult to prove what doesn't happen, right? So uh, these, these, none of these cases that you just mentioned would have been uh, on the news or leading the news had an officer deployed a, an energy device instead of the, the fatal shots being fired or the positional asphyxia or what, what have you. But I think the public's also misled when they hear uh, police shoot an unarmed uh, individual when including some of the, the situations you described, the suspect is in the process of aggressively attacking or resisting or sometimes attempting to take a weapon, uh, the, the officer's own gun from them. So yeah, those are those are situations that, that certainly um, could have had different uh, end results um, without the use of a firearm. Yeah, I would tell you in full candor as well, we have even, we've had some cases where taser weapons are used and there's still a bad outcome. Like sometimes they still have to escalate the lethal force. And at the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned our mission to make the bullet obsolete. We've only gone public with that when I wrote my book last year, um, because that's a pretty uh, it's a pretty lofty goal. It's a very high bar. And we've had to historically be very careful. And I want to just stay clear on this on, on this podcast today. The taser weapons of today are not yet a, a sufficient replacement for a firearm. You don't take a taser to a lethal force incident unless you really have the right tools and tactics. You've got lethal force oversight. That is because lethal force remains much, uh, or at least significantly more reliably effective today than energy weapons. But what uh, the case I laid out in my book and that we're really pushing our R&D on is there will come a day when these energy weapons will match or even surpass the effectiveness of pistols in immediately stopping someone. And when that day happens, we're gonna save a lot more lives because, and, and I've been shocked at how receptive police officers have been. When I first said, hey, we wanna make the bullet obsolete, I kind of hunkered down waiting, you know, because police officers, like the gun is their lifeline. And I wanna be very clear, we're not promoting that we should take guns away from police. Our goal is to give them something so much better that that pistol just collects dust uh, because they're using these other weapons that have become so effective. And that's on us. That is 100% on our shoulders to deliver that capability at that level of reliability. And we're not there yet, but we will be by 2029. By 2029. Okay, I'm going to hold you to that. Yeah, that's great. Right. the calendar. Sometimes you got to make a very public commitment, put a stake in the ground, and then people can hold you accountable to it. And I'm using that, I can guarantee, to drive our engineering teams hard. Terrific. Okay. Well, you bring up a really good point there. And I think all law enforcement officers uh, listening to the podcast are certainly uh, in agreement with you that in the case with uh, uh, the attacking uh, offender, that you always have the backup of lethal force, whether it's a taser or an extended range impact weapon, like a beanbag shotgun or something like that, that especially someone armed, um, that you've got the capability of the, the immediate uh, and, and uh, better probability of the stopping uh, with a, a firearm. Yep. Good point. So I'm gonna take a second here to acknowledge our sponsors and uh, thank them. Accurate Virtual Crime Center helps accelerate your investigations by finding connections between public records and nationwide law enforcement data with just one search. With cutting edge analytics and data linking, 
Law enforcement personnel can get a comprehensive view of people's identities. Evidence-based policing allows them to better target investigations, generate leads, and solve crimes. Using nationwide crime data, they can also detect patterns, predict upcoming events, and deploy resources efficiently. Accurate Virtual Crime Center helps police agencies be more effective in protecting and serving their communities. To learn more about Accurate Virtual Crime Center, visit risk.lexisnexus.com backslash AVCC. So I'm back talking on the podcast, uh, Policing Matters with uh, Axon founder and CEO, Rick Smith. And we're talking about uh, electrical uh, energy devices, um, the less lethal weapons uh, that you know as Taser, I'm sure. And uh, Rick, picking up uh, on, on our theme, uh, what's done to ensure the safety of both the officer and the suspect in, in using the uh, electrical uh, devices? Yeah, we, we do a tremendous amount of medical research. Uh, every time we design a new weapon, we have two goals. We have to make it more reliably effective, and we have to maintain a very high safety margin to make sure that the weapon itself is, is not causing injuries or death. Uh, I've been shot with it seven times myself. You know, most police officers that carry it have, have been exposed to a taser hit. Um, and just as an example, in our latest uh, generation of the weapon, we're now on taser seven. We've simplified our naming, you know, kind of like the iPhone, to make it really clear what generation you're on. The next one will be taser eight. Uh, so with taser seven, we focused on things like accuracy and clothing penetration are really big issues. You know, when we look at when energy weapons fail, it's usually because you either missed a subject with one of the two darts, um, or it didn't penetrate through the clothing, or there's a third reason, and that is if the darts are very close together. We, we need to spread those darts out a bit because we need that energy to go through a large part of your body to incapacitate you. And so what that means is if you shoot somebody from very close range with an energy weapon, the darts don't have enough space to spread out, so they hit close together. That'll cause a painful reaction, but it will not hit enough of the body to incapacitate somebody. And so with our newer weapon, the darts are twice as heavy. They've got a bigger surface area, so they don't penetrate into the body, but they hit twice as hard, which means we penetrate clothing better. Um, we've actually totally redesigned the system to make them more accurate. We use what's called a spiral dart, which creates a spinning motion from the way the wire unfolds uh, mm -hmm. to keep the dart really stable in flight. And then we've added some uh, really cool new technology we call adaptive cross-connect that is not worth going into here to take too long to explain it. But the basic idea is if you hit somebody at close range, it will sense and make sure that it pushes the energy across two different pairs of darts. So if you put four darts in somebody, we'll find the longest pathways and make sure we're pushing that energy through their body and makes it more effective to incapacitate them. So for us, that, that's the name of the game. Maintain safety while driving up effectiveness and reliability. Well, that's great. Yeah, I've, I've never heard it described like that. It's really interesting. Uh, so we're hearing a lot about uh, social justice and equality and inequality in use of force. Uh, has Axon jumped into that arena? Uh, for sure. It's um, We really take some pride, candidly, in that we like to look at very tough social problems and then apply a solutions mindset. You know, how can we try to make things better? 
Uh, so one of the things we did right after the George Floyd incident, we created a new position, a vice, uh, a vice president of community impact. And we hired a, a woman named Regina Holloway. She's been just fantastic. She was a police reform uh, advocate out of, out of the Chicago area. And uh, she's really been just doing a great job connecting us with community members. Because we realized, look, we speak to police all the time, but ultimately the real end customer is not just the law enforcement agency, it's the community that they serve. And many times we've seen, there's a lot of misperceptions about some of the products we make. Uh, we've learned that community members don't, uh, they're suspicious about how to know when body cameras are recording or not. Uh, they may have certain fears about energy weapons that uh, we could do a better job educating them. And so we've been reaching out this past six months uh, to community members as well saying, hey, we wanna understand your concerns. Here's how our tech works. Give us some ideas for how it might you know, do a better job. And some of the ideas we've heard back, we're now spinning that into new products and services. So one of those was community members said, hey, we wanna make sure, we wanna know that that camera's on and recording. Now our cameras do have recording lights that can flash when it's recording, but most American police don't turn those lights on because in American policing there's concern, well, if it's dark, I don't wanna create a flashing beacon uh, that's drawing attention to me. Now in the United Kingdom, they turn those lights on as a matter of course, it's just culturally different. So, and after these discussions, we've said, okay, how could we solve this problem? So we've now put a, a new software update, free, it's going out to all our users, where they can now use the flashing lights and in dark environments, the camera will automatically sense if it's getting dark and it will, it'll tone down and eventually turn off the lights so that officers, if they're in complete darkness or they're conducting a tactical operation, the camera knows not to create a flashing light in a dark environment. That's one of just eight different initiatives we we held a project called Sprint for Justice, where uh, it was actually pretty exciting. We shut down all of our engineering for two weeks and we selected eight projects that could improve police community relationships or power police reform. And over those two weeks, we, we really jammed out and we got eight new product features launched. Uh, the, the LED brightness one I told you is one of them. We've launched a new VR experience to help train officers when to intervene if a more senior officer you know, might've crossed the line like we saw in the George Floyd incident. Uh, so we, we really do try to listen to the concerns and then apply a technologist view. Okay, how do we help solve this problem? You know, rather than sort of just uh, expressing anger about it, let's go work on solving it. Well, that's, that's great, uh, great innovation, great information. Uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, you're, you're saying a lot today that the general public doesn't know about, and certainly my students don't know, and so this will really be informative for them. Uh, and while some cities have legislation that's banned chokeholds, uh, carotid restraints, and other forms of body control, including in, in New York, uh, laying on top of a, uh, a vendor or suspect and using body weight can even result in, in criminal um, charges uh, if officers use them with diminishing weaponry. Aren't we painting ourselves in a corner where uh, we're leaving the officer with just verbal commands and then straight to the firearm? That is a legitimate concern. I mean, we actually saw this back in the uh, earlier 2000s. You know, taser weapons came onto the scene. There was a period of controversy as the public sort of, you know, in the media was holy Moses, what's happening here? All these police now have these energy weapons. And there were some jurisdictions that became very restrictive on when they could be used. 
Uh, and we saw data out of those areas showing that the number of injuries and police shootings went up. Because uh, just the, the thing you're talking about there, when you become overly restrictive on the tools and tactics that can be used, ultimately that, that just, you know, you, they've always got the gun on one end. And if you restrict the things they can use in between, there is a risk that of the limited subset they have left, they may not be able to get the job done and you might end up in a lethal force shooting. So these are really complex problems without simple answers. Uh, and it's, it's an area where, again, we're really focused. The thing that we believe we can do is if we can get the non-lethal or less lethal weapons effectiveness rates up, that's the most likely way we think we can really solve these problems. Okay, so I have you down as 2029, no more firearms. Well, right. just to be really clear, by 2029, police will still be carrying firearms, at least in the United States. I think if you look at other countries, France, you know, maybe Iceland, they may jump ship and say, hey, we don't need firearms because they're not dealing with a population that has a lot of guns there either. But what I am saying in the U.S. is by 2029, we will have deployed an energy weapon that's so effective that while they still do carry their pistols, when we get our job done right, they will never have to reach for them because they'll be able to get the job done with the energy weapon with higher reliability. And again, I want to make it really clear. That's a very high bar that we have to deliver. And then it's going to take some time for us to prove it. Law enforcement, you know, is rightfully skeptical when their life is on the line. You know, they can't trust what I say from a marketing perspective about how great our weapons are. We're going to have to prove it in the field. Uh, but that's that's our goal. And, and I'm confident we'll achieve it. Yeah, that's an admirable goal, and and I hope it, I hope you get there before 2029. I don't know about the UK and France though. Um, they, the edge weapons attacks have gone up um, incredibly over the last uh, couple of years, and and recent violence uh, with edge weapons is really um, in the news in in the UK and France especially. Yeah, that has it, it certainly it's led to a real national debate. But what's interesting when the National Police Union surveys their membership in the United Kingdom, even in this threat environment, UK officers overwhelmingly have, have, have responded to surveys. They do not want to carry firearms on their uniform as a part of regular duty. Uh, they just find that runs against their their sort of sense of tradition. And uh, there's a belief in the United Kingdom that it would escalate conflict between police and the public if they went from an unarmed force to an armed force. Now, in the UK, they do have specialty units that are armed. Uh, but what's interesting is whereas the majority of officers did not want to carry a firearm, the majority of officers do want to carry an energy weapon because they think that is a controlled uh, level of escalation that will allow them to deal with things like edged weapons um, without having to resort to lethal force. And I do think even in the US, look, edged weapons are really, uh, they're really dangerous. We all know the studies If somebody within 21 feet, even if you shoot them with a lethal firearm would still be able to get to you and cause damage, which by the way, is one of the examples, you know, lethal force is not instantly immediately effective. You know, anybody's been around it, people get shot. It takes usually multiple shots and it may take seconds to minutes before they become actually incapacitated. That's where we think we can have an edge, um, but We've got to get our reliability higher than we're at today to where you would take a taser to a knife fight, so to speak. We think we'll be able to solve that problem first. And then, you know, the idea of using an energy weapon against a gun, 
Sounds a little crazy today, but look, if, you, uh, if you're Captain Kirk and you had the phaser, I think you would probably choose the phaser over a nine millimeter uh, because it, it actually, you know, again, we can look in science fiction for some inspiration about how weapons that use energy might even be more quickly and immediately effective than kinetic energy weapons today that, that fire, you know, basically shrapnel at people. Yeah, yeah. Give me the phaser anytime. So, We're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, wrapping up, uh, this has been uh, just interesting and uh, educating. And I think, um, you know, what you're saying today, I, I think there's a gap between what law enforcement knows and what the public knows. And I think uh, education and information is really important. We should be doing a lot more. Um, are there any other uh, innovations or research that you'd like our listeners to know about? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, um, one of the longer term ones, let me stretch our minds a little bit here. If we think about situations like the uh, Breonna Taylor incident, where officers go in and then there's a shot fired, you know, a lot of people would say, well, how could technology make that different? Because clearly, once you're firing at the police, you know, they're not going to shoot back with, a, with an energy weapon. And I would say the way we deal with that is 10 years from now, it shouldn't be an officer going through the door. If it's a high risk scenario where you're going in and there's a reasonable suspicion you might deal with an armed person, we should be sending a drone or a robot through the door. Um, because you know that drone or robot has no need to defend its life. Uh, we can load it up with energy weapons. And if there is a dangerous person inside and they you know, shoot a robot or a drone, okay. You know, that's fine. We can take our time and send another one in. Uh, I think that's going to be the next big shift. I think that was probably seven to 15 years out. Um, and it's going to require a real shift. The minute I say armed drone, you know, energy weapon, armed drone and police, people's initial reaction is, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. And I just have to say, well, hold on. Let's compare that to the world we live in, where we send some men and women through the door wearing body armor and carrying guns where their life is at risk too. That's, that's far worse for everybody because we're putting everybody's life at risk. If we can get time and safety and distance and keep those officers back, we can engage more methodically and more carefully and we can take more chances that you wouldn't take when there's a human life that's standing there holding the weapon. So um, again, that's, that's gonna be a big shift when that one comes, but that's first we're going after, all right, let's, let's max the pistol's effectiveness and then let's get those officers out of the, out of harm's way as well. So they don't have to personally go up and put their, their lives at risk uh, in incidents where we might be able to avoid it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and we had a guest on uh, Greg Johnson, retired um, or ex-military uh, uh, veteran and uh, sheriff's deputy. And he talked about dr drones just as you are. And uh, he sees it happening a lot sooner. Uh, we do use uh, in EOD or bomb cases, we use the, the bomb robot uh, to advance and do some recon. Uh, so it's not as far-fetched as people might might think. Um, so really interesting times, busy times for you, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing I would tell you, a, a, a mental model we like to use or I like to use personally is it's simply it's the golden rule. What would I want done to me? So if I imagine... What if my house was misidentified as a drug house and there was a SWAT team coming to enter? Would I prefer four officers coming through the door with automatic semi-automatic weapons? Or would I prefer they send a drone or a robot 
with a camera and an energy weapon. And again, hmm, I think I'd wrap, I'll take option B. So uh, I think it's just, it does, it's gonna take some time though to bring uh, people along to you know, see the advantages where we might be able to use some technology that at first sounds really scary, but could ultimately save a lot of lives. Yeah. Well, it's great. It's great that uh, we're seeing the improvements and the innovations in technology. And I want to thank you, Rick Smith, so much for your time. And I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Thanks for your research and your innovative uh, forward thinking and looking into the issues that can save the lives of uh, law enforcement officers and offenders alike. And um, bring us closer to the community and, and helping deal with these situations without the use of lethal force. Uh, best to you, Rick Smith, CEO and founder of Axon and Taser. All right, thanks, really appreciate you taking the time to look into these important issues. Great, and to our listeners, thanks again for listening. And, and what do you think? Is your agency uh, using the Taser or the Axon products? Uh, has your agency restricted uh, the use of force options. Um, have you personally used uh, the Taser Axon device in the field? And hopefully the results were favorable. Let us know. Uh, write us at policingmatters at police1.com. Policingmatters at police1.com. And uh, thanks for listening. Be well, stay safe, and thanks for your service. I'm Jim Dudley.